For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And Arnie Sherman, you're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, it's a good Sunday morning. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty good, trying to uh, hold off, you know, pessimism and, uh, and you know, and negative thoughts given, you know, the, the conditions of uh, our state because of flooding, the conditions of our country because of, you know, inflation and, uh, and interest rates going up and gas prices and all the things that people like to grumble about. And, of course, what's going on in the world with the continued, you know, tragedy in the Ukraine and, and trying to battle all of that. So I've been trying to shut the news off as much as I can, but it's hard. It's hard when you want to be informed and you want to know what's yeah. going on. And, you know, you uh, probably the, the, the biggest uh, problem with it all is, is the average person feeling a little bit helpless about what they can do about it. Totally. Think no matter what side you are in any of these issues, there's only one way, you know, to deal with it, which is at the ballot box. And, you know, often when you have a divided government like we have in the United States, I mean, it's basically – you know, by a few seats divided half and half with different ways of viewing everything. Um, you know, it, it's, it often ends up being you've got your foot on the brake and your foot on the gas at the same time. So, you know, you get a situation, for example, like uh, gun reform, and uh, most, the majority of the Americans want some kind of gun reform. They want, you know, registration or they want mental health checks or they want, you know, high capacity magazines, you know, removed or they, you know, they want more, you know, restrictions on how you can acquire, uh, uh, you know, an AR-15 or whatever. But the politics don't reflect the country as much anymore. So that's that's the probably a frustrating part about it. And uh, and uh, I, today we're going to talk with one of the young, bright, you know, lights of politics who's, you know, enthusiastic about being in government and, you know, and particularly local government and, you know, wants to advocate for change and improvements and uh, is open to listening to ideas and all that. And that's that's our youngest and newest city council member, Dan Carlino. It's always good to chat with him because he's so untainted. You know, I've, I have this feeling that right. in 20 years if we interview him, he's going to be smoking a cigarette, he's going to be <laughs> pulling out his hair. If he's still, you know, involved in local city council politics, and he's, he's going to be jaundiced by everything. But, you know, at this point, he is he is what you expect in a, in a you know, new city council member. Enthusiastic, willing to learn, right. willing to spend a lot of time, meet with people, and try to tackle some of the you know, the issues that our city faces, uh, which is not different than any other city. You know, I've been in a lot of places, uh, you know, uh, as the COVID pandemic has, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, tampered down a bit. And every place I go, it's the same conversation. Housing right. costs are too high. Inflation's too high. Government works too slow. I mean, it's the same common, you know, phenomena, which I think that, you know, disgruntlement or, uh, you know, criticism, you know, is healthy in a democracy, but, you know, uh, on a one on one basis, it can end up being frustrating and uh, and demoralizing at points. Right. And I think, you know, cities, civil servants, somebody who works for the gov- who works for local government and, and largely it's a volunteer position, even though there is a site, a stipend. I mean, it's a two way street. You know, he's requ- he requires and they require feedback from the community and constructive feedback and solution, cr- creating solutions versus just using it as a, a line of complaints. Like, hey, they're not there. You didn't vote them in just so that they could be a sounding board for your complaints. Help them come up with a solution. They're people, too. I mean, yeah, that's well, what their the job ups- is. Like, what are the upside things about a de- democracy and, and capitalism? is that the people that you need the most are often the least paid. (laughs) Emergency service workers, teachers, 
local elected officials. Right. You know, those salaries are, you know, usually very modest for the amount of responsibility they have. You know, and on the other hand, you flip it over, the people that are making billions, you know, don't have the same impact on, on you know, your development, on your daily life, you know, in, in a way that, that all of these other people do. You know, and that's that's historically been that way. In some other countries, you know, that, that we've seen, uh, particularly in, uh, you know, Europe, in, uh, you know, in the Scandinavian countries, whatever, teachers, you know, make the equivalent of $100,000 a year. Right, right. You know, daycare workers and childcare workers make great salaries. Elected officials don't make huge salaries, but nothing, but, you know, the, the president of Finland, I think, makes $125,000 a year. You know, so the public, but a lot of things are subsidized, like public education and health and all of those other things. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Arnie, we are back with our guest from the Missoula City Council, Dan Carlino. Hey, thanks Dan, for how are you? How are you oh, today? I'm doing great. Yeah, sun's a shining. It's, uh, it's a good day to be on air. Good. So while the sun is shining, there's a lot of ominous clouds on the horizon in general. For not yep. only Missoula, but for Montana, for the country, we have, you know, inflation, we have, uh, um, you know, housing issues. There's lots of things going on, you know, uh, around the country, around the world. The Ukraine situation is still, you know, fermenting and, and not getting any better. But let me uh, ask you, in general, as an elected official in the city of Missoula, where are you on the scale of optimism, pessimism about our situation and more importantly about our future? Yeah, it's definitely a super tough time for everybody in the country with, you know, the pandemic and recession and inflation making like food and basic needs and, um, and housing's gone up all across the country, but especially in Missoula. I know that's everybody's main focus. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm definitely trying to stay optimistic at the city level. It feels like we have a lot going on to try and combat the housing crisis. Um, but with food prices and things, we're going to definitely need um, a whole a whole system of help, like, across the country. Um, but, yeah, I'm trying to stay optimistic. Um, I'm trying to – I definitely think that we can, you know, get it under control to where people can still be able to afford to live in Missoula and not be struggling so much to – try and get their basic needs met in the future. Dan, has the city seen any increase in, in public ridership of mass transportation as gasoline prices have gone above $5 a gallon? Yeah, I've seen some news articles that are, I don't know if we have the exact numbers, but are saying that more people are uh, riding their bike, taking the bus. Um, we have like over a million rides on the mountain line bus here in town every year, uh, which is the fare free bus. Um, so I'm, it's something that I'm personally doing too with when gas is above $5 a gallon and, and all the gas companies are hitting record profits and we don't see an end, end in sight of the gas price going up. It's something that people are kind of forced to do more of. And at least the summer is a little bit prettier, prettier of a time to ride your bike or wait for a bus. But it's, it's sad to see. Yeah. You mentioned the issue of, uh, you know, um, record profits for the oil and gas companies. I just saw a statistic today that was pretty interesting. The oil's at about $115 a barrel as we're talking. And the last time it was $116 a barrel, gasoline was only three fifty at the pump. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, that, that right there tells you that along with the record profits for the gasoline companies. Um, yeah. Most of them have doubled their profits in the first quarter of this year compared to last year. Right. Yeah. I think like, and then they, every time there's a big natural disaster or a war, like the war in Ukraine or Russia, they'll often try and use that as an excuse to check up the prices. And I, you know, long-term, I think we need to um, try and electrify the grid as much as we can and give incentives to people to 
um, make it easy to do uh, public transport and also easy to, and cheaper to buy electric cars in the future. Um, but, you know, right now I know we're reliant on gasoline and this is hitting everyday people really hard. Yes, absolutely. So our long-term mayor has been battling with cancer. And it's, uh, you know, well-known. The public knows it. He's, you know, he's been direct and candid about it. And we uh, all wish him the best and are praying for, you know, his recovery. But if the mayor shouldn't return to office, you know, what is the plan for the city? How's the city going to plan to to, uh, respond to that situation? To respond to inflation and... No, no, no. To the to the to the situation of a mayor not returning. Oh, and, oh, gotcha. Yeah. And is there a plan in place? Who acts in his stead if he doesn't yep. return? Is there an election? I mean, what what is the the current uh, situation with that? Yeah, I'm, yeah. Mayor Engen's yeah battling for his life, which makes it a hard time to try and be mayor at the same time. Um, and pretty much right now, the council president steps up into his place, like during the council meetings, which is uh, Gwen Jones. Um, but there will be an election if Mayor Engen decides to step down. Um, it would be it would be on a general election. So it would probably be a, a 2023 in November of 2023. We would do a mayor elect, new mayor election if Mayor Engen does decide to step down. Um, but for the meantime, um, uh, the council president would would be on there for the first 30 days. But after 30 days, the city council is supposed to elect somebody, um, I mean, appoint somebody as mayor until that next election in 2023. So um, I'm guessing that Mayor Engen might have somebody that he suggests, but I think it would be great to make it as democratic as a process as possible and get use it as a chance to get as much public input as we can in those 30 days to try and let the people decide, not just 12 council members. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that um, is laid out in the city charter. So we would have Gwen Jones as council president for mayor for the moments when Maringen can't make it. Um, but if whenever he decides to step down, then the council will appoint somebody. But then we will all get to elect somebody uh, democratically next next November. Well, it's good to know. It's good to know that uh, there's yeah. a plan in place. Let me ask you this. We often hear about the work of city council issue by issue. You know, when an issue pops up, a zoning issue, a housing issue, you know, um, a traffic issue, a flooding issue. But as a council member, tell us a little bit about the full dashboard, so to speak, of what is in front of you right now. What are the issues that you're dealing with right now, sort of in, in the in the bigger picture of things? Yeah, I mean, yeah, housing is definitely on the front of everybody's mind. Um, and, I mean, homelessness as well, and they go hand to hand. But right now I know, like, we have um, we have a housing staff and that helps, like, present, like, uh, different studies that we've been doing. And, for example, they just gave us a, uh, the information that, you know, there's around – 200 or so people uh, that are living homeless in Missoula that we don't have beds for. And then, you know, the other 800 or so people we have places to go. Um, so, you know, people are seeing uh, homelessness a lot more visible and it's um, and it's it, it, it causes like a variety of problems um, with like having like like having to pay for the police or an ambulance or firefighters or all these different um, services, it sometimes seems like it would be cheaper to just um, have enough beds. Um, so homelessness is definitely something on the front of people's minds um, at the city always um, lately. Um, we're doing a lot of development. Oh, is, there, is, is there any truth to the, to the idea that other cities like in like Spokane or Coeur d'Alene or you heard for a long time, Bozeman send their homeless here? I don't think there's truth to say that the government sends people here, but I mean, Missoula is definitely sees an influx of people that are homeless in the summertime when it's nicer out, um, rather compared to the wintertime. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I mean, overall, we don't even have enough beds for everybody here ourselves. Um, and one thing that the city does do is track everybody's last known address. And I think the last report we got on that, it was about 65 to 70% of people that are currently homeless in Missoula. We couldn't get everybody's data. Like last known address was in Missoula. So 
So it's not necessarily true that everybody's coming from out of state, but I mean, in the summertime, I definitely know that more people that are homeless will come here because it's beautiful out, um, good place to camp and things like right. from weather, from a weather standpoint. But I, I think there, I think it would be great to have more information about that, but I think there's at least some falsehood to say that Bozeman or Spokane is sending people here. Well, well, one of the one of the disadvantages and advantages of Missoula is it's, it's right off the interstate. You can see it when you're coming by. Yeah. So that's you know that's an attraction. That's looking like the that's looks like the land of Oz. Right? Yeah. <laughs> looking for a place to uh, to end up. Doesn't the homelessness problem also go hand in hand with the drug issue and the use of fentanyl? And I mean, there are amazing uh, stories about this. I just heard that up in Vancouver, they had twelve hundred. Uh, drug deaths last month. Oh, gosh. You know, oh, so, gosh. I mean, you know, we're not obviously as large and we're not as, as much of a collecting area as Vancouver is for the country of Canada, but we certainly have our problems with homelessness and drug use and, uh, connected. Yeah. And yeah, I, definitely. I mean, you know, we're seeing more and more of like, uh, pills that are like laced with fentanyl that are causing overdoses. And there's been some in Missoula as well. And, um, it's definitely something that's super concerning. And I think needs to be taken on like um, at a national level to see where all, where all of this is coming from and trying to stop it at the source. Um, but yeah, also something that's being talked about between the city and county is possibly um, doing a ballot initiative at the county level next year um, to create like a crisis, like trying to do a package for um, things like that, like having a crisis stabilization center where people are high, they can try and bring them there rather than to jail. Um, and then try and have, get to connect them to resources to help with addiction rather than just trying to bring down the criminal hammer best they can. Um, and also on that same initiative, they're talking about trying to continue having security presence at like the homeless shelters and things like that around town as well. You know, it's just a, it's just a toxic combination of, you know, Economic issues, mental health issues. As you know, yeah. uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you didn't see this as much. And then they deinstitutionalized the mentally ill. And that, that combination with everything else has just made it a chronic problem, you know, in almost every city. I mean, you know, every city that I've been to, you know, in the last years, you know, you go to the downtown area or the underdeveloped area or the area along the river or the area with cover and you see homeless people. And it's uh, in the richest country in the world. It's a very difficult problem to deal with. You just can't give them money. You know, you just even if you house them, you know, they don't they can't stay housed 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's it's just becomes a, you know, a blight and a terrible problem to uh to try to, you know, resolve. I don't know any place that's resolved it. You know, they've, you know, thrown money at it. I think up in Vancouver, because I just had a conversation about this, they threw $300 million at the problem and it didn't get any better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing that, you know, not, not to say that we're ever going to be able to solve this like locally, but um, you know what I think, yeah. Trying to provide housing first is, is I think a better use of money than trying to, move people around and, and things like that. But yeah, it's really something that is going to be an ongoing issue. And I think we, our goal as a city is trying to make it to where people are just homeless once. And, and then, you know, if they're, if they end up in that situation and then are able to, you know, get connected to good jobs and, 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 you know, federal government resources and things like that. But yeah, it's definitely a tough issue to take on. And kind of the other issue too, I was going to say that's hot topic in the city right now with city council is just development going on everywhere. If you look down Mullen road or in pretty much every neighborhood um, we're building, I think the city granted like over a thousand building permits last year and looking like you're about to do the same this year. So it's just unprecedented time for building in Missoula too, as everybody's probably noticed. And, and, and from your perspective, what's driving all of this construction in Missoula? I, I mean, it's mostly from people moving here, um, and more people coming here and they're either going to take a place that take an apartment from somebody that has already lived here, or we can build more apartments and have more of a supply for people. Um, but yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is just, yeah, Missoula being a really desirable place to live and more people knowing about it across the country. So if, if we don't, if we don't build more house or if we don't allow 
uh, developers to build more housing and try and restrict it as a government, then we're going to end up with uh, these really low vacancy rates that we're seeing. And then that mm. makes where people can jack up the rent to whatever they want because there's nowhere else to go. So, so have you discussed at city council whether this phenomena is uh, time limited? I mean, it, it, is it a combination of uh, the, uh, the aftermath of, of COVID and people being able to work remotely, you know, um, and now that we have interest rates above almost 6% for uh, mortgages, you know, mm-hmm. and people are returning to work in many places. I mean, Elon Musk is demanding his people return to work or they can find jobs somewhere else. Is have, have you talked about whether or not that has some kind of, uh, 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 you know, dampering effect on what we have going on here? I, I definitely think people working remotely from the pandemic is definitely part of it, makes it to where other people are able to bring higher income jobs um, to Missoula, where we ha- had more of a working class um you know, you didn't have to make very much money to to be able to thrive here. And people are coming in with, you know, remote jobs from other towns, which brings in a lot more money that can afford those, you know, $1.2 million two bedrooms in the sawmill district or things like that. And it's just something that they're, they're just coming in with money that a lot of um, jobs in Missoula and Montana typically don't pay that much because our cost of living was lower. Um, so I think that's definitely part of the problem. Some people call it the Zoom boom, where everybody can just work on Zoom in, instead. But it's um, it's something that is really tough. And I think the main ways to address it would be by al- allowing for um, more housing and allowing um, and making sure that we're setting aside deed restricted housing by giving incentive, you know, every time that we can. Um, um, so yeah, it's a tough tough issue to because to try and stop people from. Not that I'm trying to stop people from moving here, but trying to make sure that we can keep our quality of life and accommodate. You know, one of the unintended consequences of the economic situation we find ourselves in with inflation and, um, you know, growth and interest rates and the Fed, you know, trying to intervene to to reduce all of that and with the recovery from – COVID or the lingering effect of it is that might actually work to Missoula's advantage a little bit. Interest rates go up a bit. Um, housing construction because of uh, rising costs, uh, you know, goes down a little bit. And uh, that might ease at least part of the curve that we're seeing, which, you know, you couldn't find a place to live. You can't find a place to rent, um, you know, and uh, and wages just ha- are not able to rise to to underwrite an economic scenario where everything is heated up like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's really tough. The main wages we've seen rise, I think are just the, like, you know, the service workers or things like that, but everybody else's wages really haven't risen with inflation at all. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a tough, complicated issue. Yeah. I do think, I do think that many more people who were moving in will have a harder time selling their homes for the, number that they think they're going to sell because of the interest rates. I mean, a couple right. of years ago, just a couple of years ago, you could refinance a house or get a loan at two and a half. Five or six is a big jump on that. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm already seeing, as I've just, you know, personally looked around, that the prices are coming down. You know, people are knocking off five, ten percent on their, on their uh, you know. Selling price. Yeah, yeah, the selling price for their homes. That's a good sign. Um, you know, usually when I have talked to like realtors in town, they're saying that people are doing cash offers and things. But yeah, hopefully that, you know, some of these things are cooling the market off. But I also think it's different. I also think it's different, uh, you know, different classes of inventory. There's certain inventory that's always going to move a lot faster. It's going to when you, you know, as you start to get to those higher priced homes, the six figure or seven figure homes that you're going to start to see maybe that does come down, but who knows? I mean, people still want to slice a Montana um, from out of state. They want to slice a Montana. And uh, I think if they can't sell what they have in order to do it, right. you know, that may have, I'm not saying it's going to disappear, but Missoula historically has always been eight, nine months behind what's happening nationally. You know, the recession 
didn't hit here as hard the last time around in 2008 and 2009 until after the country saw a majority of the effect. We also didn't come out of it as quickly because we were a little bit of out of step with what was going on. Maybe we're seeing the residual effect at the moment of people who have made offers and are refinancing and have loans in place for the last 40, 60 days. But as the Fed tightens up, and I think they're going to tighten up even more to try to you know, stomp on inflation, I think the money lending part is going to have some effect on people's ability to buy new places or builders' ability to, uh, you know, to build houses. Everything is going up in cost. Transportation costs. I don't know when truckers are going to stop, you know, moving as many, you know, um, you know, loads as they lo- load. But you know, their their fuel costs are up fifty four percent in the last three months. Oh gosh, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, uh, you know, there's a big difference filling up a hundred gallons when it's four dollars versus six right. gallons, and that yep. just comes. That just lands on the consumer. Right, right into the food costs and yeah, other other yeah. things, moving <laughs> building materials, all that stuff. And that's actually it, it, it begs the next question, which is how often or how frequently is city council and the government um, working with developers? Like, are they are they speaking with developers? Are they you know how often do you work with the community planning and development group, uh, both in the city and the county, and you know because I think the process of developing and building affordable residential housing is a great idea, but it requires a lot of people pulling in the same direction. And how do you guys work toward that? Yeah. uh, Yeah. The way that um, we get like deed restricted affordable housing where they are going to have it at at an affordable rate. For example, um, there's one that's that they're talking about on Sussex um, right now uh, Mm -hmm. around South Avenue and um basically the developer n- needs us to needs the city to move um uh alleyway or to yeah to move an alleyway and so that's our chance to try and get affordable units whenever the developer needs something from the city like um vacationing a right of way or like a moving around city land or um or if they need um Things I'm trying to think things like that where they need uh, the city to uh, move around land or um, then that's our chance as a city to ask for affordable units. And the housing staff pretty much handles all of those. And then the city council has final approval and we can try and make amendments. Um, so the one on Sussex, um, we're, the city's uh, they're requesting that we vacate a right of way like an alleyway. In, in exchange for 20% of the units affordable at 80% area median income. Um, and then, and then they're trying to say that the rest of the units would be, um, or the rest of the rental ones there would be around 120% area median income, but those are not deed restricted. So basically mm-hmm. anytime that they need something like that from the city, that's when we usually work with developers and, um, try and figure out how to get the best public benefit and secure those affordable units without giving away our leverage of vacating a right of way. So let me ask, let me ask a follow up to that, which is let's say a developer is building just residential units that they're not affordable or no, they're not, they're not zoned for that, but they're just trying to make improvements to an existing property or build a new property. Uh, Oftentimes you will hear a lot of criticism around the process of moving things through the different departments is slow. They're backlogged. Uh, one hand doesn't talk to the other. And as a, when someone's trying to put, to build, right, towards improving, uh, the housing issue, there's, yeah. met, they're, they're met with a lot of challenges. Yep, definitely. That's one thing that I'm glad that we're trying to take on, like, as a whole with the city right now. We just, um, started the code reform process. It's gonna, it's supposed to take about a year and a half or is what, is what I'm hearing, but basically, Code reform would be our chance to rezone anywhere in town, the parcels. It would be our chance to make some of those things easier for developers, like to where maybe it's okay to, like maybe they don't have to build 25 feet back from the sidewalk. We could change the setbacks. Maybe they don't have to build a certain amount of parking spaces, even if it's not relevant to that area. Um, so there's a bunch of these different like roadblocks that are currently written, written into the code that developers have to follow that makes, it makes it to where it's taking them 
uh, up to a year or two longer than it would have if, if it was streamlined. Um, so the code reform, I think, is a good opportunity. But, yeah, also with those market rate housings, they need to fit into the zoning. And basically right. zoning zoning is just saying what's allowed to be built um, in, in, that, in that piece of land. And um, basically a lot of our different residential neighborhoods are restricted to only single-family homes. And I would like to see the code reform allow for single-family homes, but also allow for duplexes or threeplexes or fourplexes to help with the supply. Um, right now, basically, the uh, zoning is written to make a lot of – it says what's illegal there. And and basically, um, we need to make more types of housing legal in all neighborhoods. Sure. You, know, the cha- you, you mentioned the most important point about – this challenge, which I've seen in every city that I've lived in my whole life. I've never lived anywhere where everybody says, boy, I love our zoning people. And, you know, <laughs> the city just, everything just flies through the city. Right. Um, it is that you have to look out for the public good. And developers are, are there, you know, even if they're good community members, as many of them and maybe all of them are, they're still there to make a profit. Right. You know, that's why they're developing real estate, not just to, uh, you know, that's right. Lesser or not for profit. So they have a, a motivation and you as a council member have a motivation, which is to look out for the greater good of the community. And so things just can't fly off, you know, out of people's offices to the at the speed that developers want, because you have to you know monitor what's going on. I mean, take a look at a place. The place where that probably happens the most is in Texas, where they don't right. have any zoning, and you got gas stations next to, you know, funeral parlors next to schools, right. next to yeah. million dollar houses, and people can put billboards up in front of your. I mean, it's just a nightmare in many places. <laughs> and that's what happens when you have unfettered development. Right. Yeah, I, I believe in in zoning, especially to you know protect like our natural areas like along the river and things like that and not have a gas station in your neighborhood or big industrial things um but yeah but then yeah so texas is probably an example of too much like legalization of of everything but i think right, missoula right now is an example of not enough legalization of different kinds of housing too so hopefully after this code reform we'll have a good balance in there that allows us to have a good housing supply and also keep a good quality of life. So yeah, it's, yeah, that, yeah, that Texas is an interesting example. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and um, you know, obviously the, the, the other, uh, you know, balance is you have to allow developers to develop things that make money at the same time. because They're not going to build things. They're going to lose right. money on unless they're a subsidized not for profit. So all of those things, it, it is probably the most challenging issue that a city council would face in a place like Missoula, which has pressure on it to expand and grow and build and add and, you know, not just residentially, but commercially as well. There's yep. all kinds of businesses and, you know, chain restaurants and, you know, retail stores and, you know, distribution businesses that want to come here. And that's also an added pressure, not only on cost and zoning and rules, but on fire departments, sewage, water, all of those issues. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And we're confined by the mountains too for our urban yes. core, which makes it even tougher. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope that we can do a good job of um, preserving our natural environment in this process and do a good job of trying to make sure everybody can afford to live here. But yeah, it's definitely a time of unprecedented growth. And, you know, I think it's, it's okay. If, to let developers make profits and, and it, it, at the same time, it, um, it also is providing people with homes. So that's kind of the trade off, I, I suppose, and trying to make sure that we're doing it in a way that also protects the environment. But right. It also yeah. creates construction industry jobs, which have always yep. been important here. Let me that's talk about right. something that's very topical at the moment and, and, and when the show airs. Yeah. The state is faced with unprecedented flooding. Even on a beautiful day like today, that doesn't diminish the fact. What, mm-hmm. what has been the effect of the flooding on Missoula in general? Yeah, I mean, I mean, first of all, from the uh, effects of the climate crisis, we're seeing natural disasters um, and, and the quantity at a higher and higher quantity, and then also more and more intense across the world. And I think this is an example of um, seeing un- unprecedented flooding or unprecedented uh, fires in Montana is a 
good hands-on example of how the climate crisis is affecting Montana. Um, you know, Missoula in particular, Clark Fork River is pretty high. It has not gone this year onto homes and things, I don't think yet. But a, a few couple of years ago, we had in 2020 here, we had pretty unprecedented flooding where there was a lot of ha- homes in the uh, floodplain that got completely flooded um, over off of Third Street. And, um, and you know, I, we're definitely close to, you know, having some flooding like that here right now. But what's happening in Yellowstone um, um, area and Red Lodge and all, all southeastern, south central Montana area right now with their floods is, uh, is really sad and hard to see. And we need federal government help, um, to try and help repair those roads and, and help, um, and help, you know, make it whole. But I know that that whole community is really struggling. And this is something that, um, you know, is unprecedented flood, but I think it's going to become more and more common in the future if we don't, if we don't turn things around with, with climate change and, um, trying to solve that. Um, but yeah, it's, I, We'll see what happens in Missoula, but I haven't heard any updates of people expecting it around, expecting that kind of flooding around here. It seems mostly Yellowstone, Red Lodge, and even over to Livingston, Bozeman area, um, they're getting warnings. So it's definitely something that is on everybody's mind right now and a lot of something that's really harmed a lot of Montana families with this year's flood. Sure. I mean, the rivers are up. I mean, they're not at crisis stage, but, uh, you know, and uh, if you, if, what happened in Red Lodge happened here. You'd see yeah. the baseball stadium, you know, be just, you know, basically floating down the river. Right. You know, yeah. It's and, definitely uh, something that we need to be careful of not to build in the, not to build too much in the floodplain too, because we're going to see more of this. And I mean, there's the 10 year floodplain where, where it's expected to happen every 10 years, or there's the hundred year floodplain where it's only expected to happen like 1% of the time. And I think, I think a lot of that was in Yellowstone area was definitely in the hundred year floodplain. And yeah. we have a lot of building in Missoula too that is, is as well. Yes. Absolutely. Are you feeling like, you know, now that you're kind of getting in the job and every, you know, last time we spoke must have been maybe six, four or five months ago. Right. Uh, yeah. Your confidence and your kind of, you know, your knowledge base grows. Like. Definitely. How, how's that been, right? Like, as, have there been mentors that you've been working with in city, in city council or, you know, in the government that have been, in local government that have been helping? Um, you know, is it just reading and kind of just brought, kind of learning all about things like, because when we talked about code reform, that's something that you've been taking a lot, sounds like you've been spending a lot of time on. So what have you been doing to kind of keep your knowledge base up? Yeah, um, the real experts at the city are um, all the city staff. We have like our housing staff, climate staff, like public works, uh, transportation staff, and and I'm always trying to meet with different staff members every week to try and talk about these things. And I also am just learning a lot by um, all the city council agendas um, uh, are get posted on the city website every week and. If you start to click through the agendas, you can click on each item and then they have attached like all of the different like materials that went into each item. So I usually, I just read through everything that's on there as well. So like they'll be like, we need to move this telephone wire and then I'll just read all the different pages about why we need to do that and, and see what's going on. So mostly through talking to the city staff and, um, and just looking through those agendas and trying to get details on just trying to look, go through all the weeds of, the details and I also keep up uh, with the news best I can and, and just going to different community events. Like I'll try and there's like a tenants union in town. I'll go to their meetings or go to like different like labor meetings or environmental meetings and stuff like that as well. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to get into the weeds of it best I can just to make sure that I'm always making a really informed decision with my vote and, um, and, and making sure that I can justify all the decisions on there. Sure. So what you described, Dan, is more than a full-time job, and you have a full-time job yeah. beside this. So how did you balance balance all that? Because you you know this can suck you in like the great you know funnel of uh, you know of all time. And the more you look at, the more you want to learn. The more meetings you go to, right. the more things you get involved with. Pretty soon, you know, you're not sleeping or eating. So <laughs> how do you balance? How do you balance the two? 
Oh, my other job is I'm just doing part-time, luckily, uh, ah. as, as an aide for a guy that's got different mental disabilities. Right. Um, but I, I think on, council members could be a full-time job in the future. I think it would make a lot of sense as our city grows um, because, like, for example, there's only been two, like, most things come from our city staff, but there's only been two policies that I've seen council people bring forward this year, uh, me and uh, Kristen Jordan, and then also Heidi West brought forward a policy, but to go six months with, with, with not having very many policies brought forward by council members, I feel like is not very healthy because we have clearly a lot of issues going on. So I, I would like to see council be a full-time job, but I try right. to I try to spend as much time as I can on it now, especially just because I'm really interested and it's a lot of, it's a, just a lot of um, cool things going on in the city and, it's a lot of interesting things, and I want to make sure that I've got a seat at the table and the staff and other council members aren't just making decisions with, without me being informed. So try and do everything I can to get up to speed. So that's all very attractive and very, you know, alluring. How much time do you spend a week on city council work? And I know this information is public, but I don't remember this. What is the pay for a city council member? The, the pay is like, I think it's like 16,000 a year. So right. yeah. So like after we're, we're only making like about 1100 a month or something after taxes and stuff. But so it's not very high, but, um, it pays my rent and things, which is good. Um, but I, I think I spend, it just really depends what's going on each week, but I definitely spend any, at least 15 hours a week up to, you know, up to 40 if, if there's a lot of things going on. Um, but our main, like our main like requirements are, um, the Monday night meetings at city council chambers. Um, it's also on zoom if anybody wants to tune in on there. Um, and those are, those can go on for up to like four or five hours, but sometimes they're just like one hour. And then on Wednesday, we usually have an eight or nine hour day of, of zoom committee meetings. And basically everything that goes through our committees is what then gets voted on, on the Monday night meetings the next week. So the committee meetings is where most things actually get decided on first. And then, um, we have like a housing and redevelopment committee, public works that handles the streets and things, um, climate conservation and parks. Um, and then we have, uh, trying to think what else. Um, and then we have our budget and finance committee where we're going to be working on the city budget here soon. So the committee meetings on Wednesday is kind of the bulk of the job, but I also, we also get a, a good bit of emails and I get a phone calls and things that we are always trying to answer those every day if I can. So if my math is right. You're making about half the salary per hour of the of the required city minimum wage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's supposed to be public service, but I I just don't I just feel like sometimes uh, city council being viewed like as a part time job by the council members makes it to where we're just not doing very much policy, which I am a little bit bummed about. I wish um I wish th- I I just feel like a sense of urgency and I. I, th- I think it would be great if we could pick that pick up the pace sometimes um, on the council. Right. But, but yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky because yeah, I'd like to, you know, it's the last thing that I would want to do a change in the budget is increase increase council members' pay. But at the same time, I'd like to see it be a full time job in the future to where people are need to be need to be working forty hours a week to try and make the city better, not just putting in time whenever they can outside of their second job. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in Spokane, for example, you know, a city near us, city council members there, I believe, are making about $50,000 a year. Now, I know it's a bigger city. That doesn't yeah. mean that they have any less, you know, spend any more time than, than you're spending or Missouri. Right. I mean, the issues are the issues. You know, and, uh, you know, I think they probably have more council members than we have. And in most of the places that I've lived in my life, city council members were paid, you know, you wouldn't get rich on being a council member, but you could support a family on being a council member. Right. Yeah. At least afford some, be able to afford rent with it would be good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. And just, I just wish it was everybody's full time job on council too, just to yes. make it everybody's yeah. priority. Yeah. Okay, you, was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on too? Well, I, I am curious now that you've been in the job for a couple of months and you're getting a taste of city government, do you have aspirations for anything more than what you're working on right now? I mean, watching the news all the time definitely makes me wish I could 
being there to say some stuff in, in Congress one day, but I most of, but I think being on the city council is a really good spot for me because I originally ran for public service commission, which regulates the utility rates and things for the sit for the state. And I think I would much, much rather be on city council just because I get to work on like a wide array of issues. And then it's things that like, I can like walk by like what we're working on each day and see people that I'm supposed to be representing, like just like in my neighborhood and stuff. So I really like city council, but, um, this is probably where I plan on staying, um, as much as I can. Um, people want me here, but, um, it definitely feel the urge to try and be in federal government, to just have a fresh voice in there. <laughs> let's take you know, a quick, let's Arnie, let's take a quick break. Our right. guest is Dan Carlino from the Missoula city council back after this. Get re- Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are back with our guest, Dan Carlino. I just want to follow up on that last point. You know, sometimes yep. if you get what you wish for, it may not be exactly what you thought it would be. I mean, being a city council member among a small group and trying to implement change, you know, as, as uh, you know, John Engen, our mayor, said before, this is, this is, you know, government in action. You can see the outcome and you can talk to the people. You go and become a congressperson, there's 435 of them. And if you're in the yeah. minority, if you're in the minority, it's not, it's not always a, a, a thankful job and you're running all the time for re-election. You're re-elected every two years. Yep. You know, so I, I know congressmen and I know staffers of congressmen and it's it's not quite as glamorous. The pay is better, but uh, the the ability for one out of 435 to make a big difference, if that's what you're looking for, to be a change agent, sometimes you're better off on the outside trying to influence decisions rather than being on the inside being one of 435. That's just based on, you know, based on my yeah. experience. Yeah. I can see the, the reward being richer at a city level where you can actually see the, the outcomes of your policies. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, and I definitely believe in like thinking globally and acting locally. And, yeah. and I mean, it's city council is a, pretty great position and even being one of 12 sometimes i run into that problem of trying to get something done and then get outnumbered but and remind us what your what your who where your constituents constituents live there in the university district yeah university district and the riverfront neighborhood like like rose park um like in this in some of the slant streets so yeah ward three got it and ward if people ward that three. are listening want to get a hold of you want to give you some input give you you know, more advice. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah. On the city of Missoula website, we have uh, my email phone number, or if you type in my name on social media um, that you can message me on there or just give me a call or email on there. And I'm always happy to try and set up a time to talk to folks. Yeah. You're very, I, we appreciate you coming on the air with us. I think we, we want to continue to have you come on. We like yeah. to get your perspective on what's happening locally uh, in the city government. I also think your perspective is, you know, you're coming into it without being, you know, partial one way or the other. You're learning it as you go here, which is great. Um, you know, is there something we can do to support you as a community that you'd like to see, you know, kind of from your constituents or from the community at large? Um, I think, you know, anytime that people can weigh in on city council decisions, or if you see like something in the news that you want to weigh in on, um, I think that always helps. Uh, most of our things that we vote on on council, we get no public comment for. And then sometimes if it's a hot topic, we'll get a lot. But I think just like trying to get people to participate in politics and, and, and not, rather than just voting, like showing up to try and now poke at the person that you voted for and tell them to do what you want, I think is helpful. And yeah, so I think just the more comments and public participation we have, the better like this past Monday night city council meeting, we had only one person in attendance, like, or uh, that came to watch, like things like that. So you can always show up to the meetings and comment about whatever you want, or you can email 
us and it'll be on the public record to comment, but the more participation, the better. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And repeat your, uh, your, do you have an email that people could send an email to? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, Carlino D at ci.missoula.mt.us, but it's on the city website as well. If you type in city of Missoula city council and it has all of our emails and phone numbers, you could call me and, um, and you're well. also very, and you're also very, sorry to interrupt, but you're also very active on social media. So yeah, that, that's, the best, that's the best way to get in contact with you. Yep. Hey, hey Dan, don't be so discouraged, at least this summer, uh, about not having, uh, people attend. It's summertime in Montana, we've, yeah, uh, right. we've, we've seen hopefully the worst of COVID. The weather's, you know, pretty nice now and, uh, people are out doing what they've been living, what they came to Montana to do. That's true. Get outside and enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Well, Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. It's always great to talk to you. Yeah, you too, guys. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done